And welcome to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, a service of the Clinical Manager Source. Keeping employees engaged at your agency starts with training and professional development. That's where the Access Training and Certification Program can help. The online program combines industry best practices with solution training for home health, hospice, home care, and palliative care staff. And since Access is accredited with the ANCC, clinicians can earn continuing education units needed for license renewal. Visit access.com forward slash certification to get started today. I'm Julia Maroney, your host. Today I have with me as a guest, Tammy Ross. Tammy is the Senior Vice President of Professional Services at Access. Tammy is an RN with a Master's in Healthcare Administration and has been in home care and hospice for 30 years, both as a provider and now working at Access, a technology company which is focused on the home care, hospice, and palliative care industry. Recently, Access published a report in collaboration with Symmetry, a consulting company as well. It was on industry trends, and the report stated that one of the biggest challenges agencies face is recruitment and retention of staff. I've invited Tammy to talk with me today about retention, one of the areas of focus that we've had at the Clinical Manager Source on our podcast. Welcome, Tammy. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. I really appreciate you taking the time. So, Tammy, in your view, is retention and recruitment the biggest challenges that home care and hospice face? I think, no, I know recruitment and retention is the biggest challenge right now. We're actually hearing upwards of 70% of referrals are being turned our way because there's no staff to admit them. Uh, that's really sad for me as a clinician and a provider, former provider, to think about all those people that have no access to care now. And generally, those are going to be your sickest and your frailest individuals. So organizations are looking at ways to really think outside the box, you know, look at ways to make sure that they're able to keep their staff from turning over. So I think 2023 is, um, Definitely the the year of the nurse, for sure. Definitely, with with the overall need to make sure that we're seeing those patients. That's a scary st- statistic with the 70% not being seen. Must be very frustrating for the hospitals and the nursing facilities trying to get their patients having that care being readmitted. Yeah, I, I think that never before have we really felt the impact of how important the care at home treat is as we're looking at trying to transition these patients from an acute care setting to an in-home setting. So there's also statistics that would support over 50% of the patients coming home that need home health or need home care straight from the hospital are not getting it. So we're starting to see some kind of emerging trends with private duty home care organizations that are really partnering alongside of hospice and home health agencies to help kind of bridge that gap until we can get certified skilled care in the home. Yeah, and certainly the the other concern I have that pops into my head is the disconnection that we have oftentimes between all of those services. There's not 
necessarily one connecting body. So that's a huge challenge. Isn't that, you know, it's funny you say that. I recently took my pet to the vet and I was just shocked because I had to use a different vet. It was kind of an emergency visit, or at least I thought it was an emergency visit. She got a hold of her grandchild's toy and chewed on some plastic. Mm. And do you know that they were able in a moment to pull up her immunization records? They were able to pull up all of her meds that she's been on in the past. These were vets that were not connected to any type continuum, but they had that information on my little multi-poo. But we helped had that same ability to talk to each other as providers to people, right? So you're absolutely right. There's often a disconnect between all of the services and people fall through the gap. And it seems to be the sickest and the frailest are the ones that kind of get pushed from service to service with no real coordination being provided. Yeah, I definitely real life that that occurs so many times. I can't tell you how many times I I live in Florida and um, there's a lot of elderly people around. (laughs) Um, We get a lot. I have a lot of neighbors who will ask about, you know, so-and-so got out of the hospital. No one is seeing them, you know, what do we do? I mean, if, if people don't have family or caregivers or someone who's interested, they kind of do fall right between the cracks. They absolutely do fall between the cracks. 2020, I'll just share the story. My dad was one of the ones that I call evicted from a assisted living facility. He was a new dementia diagnosed patient that didn't take very well to to being shut in that ALF and not seeing his family. We literally had two hours to come pick him up and his belongings up at the start of the pandemic. I'm also a certified case manager, so I've got experience with navigating the system. But even I had issues navigating and trying to find services for him, trying to get the DME equipment because it was all being used in hospital environments, right? So you couldn't get DME. You could not find caregivers that were willing to come into the home. So trying to find caregivers, even trying to find gloves. So during that time, it's kind of like serendipity in a way. My my CEO, John Elijah, called me and he says, I want to give back for the industry. I want to start a certification and training program and I want you to do it. So I was able to start up a program. It's been almost three years or it will be in June. And one of the things that we're doing that we're adding that's going to be free to anybody, Mm -hmm. um, the industry as well well as lay caregivers, we're starting a caregiver university because for those patients that are falling through the cracks or for those family members like I was that was desperate for resources. So this university is going to teach basic caregiver techniques. It's going to have a list of resources by state. So that caregivers can reach out. You know, I really see it as a way to kind of supplement what our MSWs do as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And we we know we're short MSWs. We're short, right? So many in the home. And often that burden falls to that clinical manager that's also out seeing patients. Mm -hmm. It's also the QA nurse 
um, that's also trying to onboard and orient. So if we can give them this group of resources that they can give to families yeah. to help them become self-sufficient, I think that's going to be a huge give back to the community. I hope to have that live. Certification is live, but that particular track is not. Hope mm-hmm. to have that live and ready by um, June of this year. So I'm excited about that and hope um, many of those that are listening will take advantage of that free resource. Oh, that sounds so wonderful. I think it's a great resource out there. Of course, you know, you're speaking to my heart when you're talking about providing resources to that critical staff within the organizations. And we're so busy in the, both in home care and hospice organizations, you know, the day-to-day, the scheduling, the the managing staff, the getting the patient seen, all of the things that we do, the balls in the air every single day. Tammy, going back to the retention, what do you think that organizations are doing now to help retain staff? I mean, it's so busy in the organizations. Everyone is doing their best every day. What are they doing to make people want to stay? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So we're starting to see some retention bonuses out there. Mm-hmm. Certainly recruitment bonuses have been around for a long time. Now we're starting to see retention bonuses. We're finding those don't work very well. I know for organization that actually had a $40,000 bonus for LVN, that position is still not filled. It's been three months and they, they still can't fill it. So organizations that are thinking outside the box, I, I think you're finding that people don't want the traditional full-time care at home um, job anymore. They don't want to be married to the job like so many of us have been. So flexibility, really being able to do job share, being able to pick your geographic location. Mm-hmm. Being able to pick, you know, what skill sets that you're going to do. It's been a minute since I've actually carried a bag, maybe more than a minute. But, <laughs> but you know, I I would love to get out there and maybe do some of uh, the less hands-on skills, some more mm-hmm. of the teaching skills, and think that I would still be very useful uh, to the industry doing that. Mm-hmm. So organizations that are thinking outside the box, and pulling this type of supplemental staff in, I think that's going to help retain your full-time nurses, right? Because you're able to take that load off of them. So I, I believe in 2023, we have to look at what matters to the person. Uh, COVID did a lot of things for us that were positive, even though it was such a horrible time. And one of those has made us think differently about work-life balance. Mm-hmm. And I, I think organizations that are making that in the forefront and are thinking differently are going to be the ones that can retain staff. And it doesn't necessarily have to be with $40,000 sign-on bonuses. Right. right? right. Uh, simple thank you notes and, and, and doing what's right and allowing people to have that work-life family balance, I think it's going to be hugely important. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I I'm belong to several Facebook groups where folks are talking about home care and hospice, nurses and therapists. And one of the things that I see there is just they're overwhelmed, they're burned out, they're tired. 
It's not necessarily the pay. Um, it's those other things. Tammy, I know in past interviews you've spoken about workforce development quite a lot, um, and that's certainly a passion that we both share. But what are your thoughts about that playing a role with retention? Yeah, so career pathing, I think, is hugely important. And, and I'm afraid sometimes we do a really bad job in our industry. The nurse that say very good bedside nurse or, or field staff nurse, tomorrow we make her a clinical supervisor or a clinical manager. Mm. And we've done very little to prepare her for that or even really ask her what her goals are. You know, mm. and it's certainly fine to, to stay in the field and be that amazing field nurse your entire career. Mm-hmm. So I think workforce development, we need to make sure that we're considering the goals of the employees. Yeah. And then secondly, I, I think we need to provide the time for that workforce development. We need to invest in our employees as an asset, just like you would consider, you know, buying your computer or your tech equipment as an asset. Your, your employees, um, it's, it's, it's over $50,000 to turn over an RN. Why yeah. wouldn't we invest in them? I, I go back a long ways, Julia, to the time when we actually did classroom training for home health. Uh, I started with an organization. Some of you probably don't even remember it. It was called ABC Home Health. It was one of two, um, <laughs> the, the big ones. There was Columbia, there was ABC. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had six weeks of uh, training just to be a home health nurse. And then if you wanted to be a clinical manager or an administrator, that was an additional six weeks for your first training and then your advanced training another six weeks. Up until probably three years ago, I kept my administrator's training book. Oh, just got it rid of it. That's a bit of a pack rat, I guess. But, <laughs> you know, back then, pulse reporting, all of that went on the pulse report. All of that education and training was reimbursable through calls reporting, mm-hmm. reimbursable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, once, once CMS made the decision that calls reports wasn't a direct correlation to reimbursement, training and education really just went away. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really did. It. And, and then we wonder why we don't have people retained. Uh, they, they don't understand the rationale behind what they're doing. They don't, they're not able to pull that string through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was also a, a CCRN, a critical care um, registered nurse at one point in my life. And that was a formalized training. I think we have to get back to that, Julia, and home health and hospice. We are that specialized and we deserve that kind of training and career passing. I completely agree with that. I think uh, in my past, one of the things that I did as a, a leader at a in a home care hospice organization was to get staff to understand you know, how how we get paid. Yeah. Um, we were a, a, a poor nonprofit, I would say, <laughs> refer to us. Um, so you know the budget was a real big thing, and just having them understand, you know, how we got paid, what the reimbursement was like, and what their role in it was. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's the thing too. Is is granted not everyone, not every nurse is going to have some level of knowledge about, okay, we had this reimbursement for this HHRG and, and home health or, 
um, this many, you know, we're being paid this much for per day in hospice, but to think about, okay, I'm managing this patient. And if I'm the, the case manager for this individual, what is going to get them the best outcome? Use your professional clinical skills, you know, to do that. I think that really helps with the buy-in and understanding it instead of doing it to the staff, you know, telling them we're going to do this without any explanation. It's really helping them to engage in making those changes and, and understanding what it is are the challenges. I think that's huge. Julia, you're preaching my language. And, you know, back a long time ago, they used to think that that nurses and maybe even now still, they used to think that, oh, we couldn't understand the financial part. And to tell us the financial part was a negative. I, I'm on board with you. I, I totally disagree. Mm-hmm. Nurses are scientific. We want to know the rationale. Yeah. Once you know the rationale, they're going to become a partner, just like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it made such a difference. It really did. Just that very small thing uh, to understand it makes a huge thing. Three days of inspiration and acceleration toward the future of healthcare in the home that we all want. Join us in Dallas this April for the Access Growth, Innovation, and Leadership Experience, or Agile. You'll interact with top leaders in business, technology, healthcare, and financial services to build the future of healthcare. And since Access is accredited with the ANCC, attendees can earn up to seven hours of continuing education units. Visit access.com forward slash agile to see the full schedule and register today. Going to wind you back a little, Tammy. You made a mention about uh, a, a subject very dear to my heart is with a clinical supervisor. You know, in this industry, we continue to take our clinical us, good clinical leaders, good clinical case managers, great nurses, great therapists, take them out of the field and we make them managers with no thought necessarily to what they're lacking in their overall knowledge. And I've always, this is my soapbox, I've always, and we got to teach people, fill in those gaps. We're good clinicians, but what about the finance? What about everything else? And then we talk about retention. With that role, what is your feeling about that role being so, you know, critical for staff retention? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Well, I can tell you something that I'm working on now, a pretty large project. Access is hosting Agile, which is a leadership conference, the 17th through the 19th of April. And we're really looking at that as role-based. You know, there's there's leadership at all levels. There's administrator, there's C-suite, there's clinical supervisor, and there's field nurse and home health aid leadership. So looking at how to provide those skills, that's one way I think that we can really ensure retention. There's nothing worse than going into your job and not knowing what's expected of you. Mm. And, and I, I think none of us want to do a bad job. We we don't sit down in that clinical supervisor's desk and say, you know what, I'm going to see how horrible I can do today at my work. <laughs> but, but, but so many times we treat these people like that's, that's their intention because mm-hmm. we haven't given that knowledge to them to support it. Um, and, and financial knowledge is one of the things that we have to give as well. Yeah. I, I'll I'll use an analogy on my grandson. 
He's a kindergartner. And that little stinker, chronic, every day he went to school for the first three and a half, four months. What we discovered was the way they were teaching phonics or phonograms was not the way we were supporting him at home. So it was almost like every day he went, he was just stepping off into such a different world. Hmm. And it was scary for him. But he's young. He's a you know, a a five-year-old, he didn't know how to express that. So when we had that first teacher's conference, his parents sat down and understood that there's a big disconnect. So we all went to work tutoring and and helping him. Well, he he gets the concept now. So I received my little picture today with him holding up his book report. He's leading the line in the parade (laughs) because he's doing so well in school. That's um, <laughs> right. So you talk about retention now. He sure. wants to go to school every day yeah. um, because he understands what's expected of him, mm-hmm. and he has the he needs to to meet those expectations. Same way with our clinical supervisor. Let's tell them what we expect. Let's give them the tools that they need so mm-hmm. that they can be successful in their role. And if you're successful. You feel good about yourself, right? You you want to keep producing and you want to keep doing. So, you know, my goal would be make your clinical supervisor successful. Bet you your agency is going to turn into a five star. I bet you your BBP scores are just going to fall in place. Mm -hmm. But it starts with your staff. Your riddle aligned with my heart there too. (laughs) In your mind, what? What's the the impact of technology in all of this? I mean, how can technology help? I mean, we've got, that's one of the things that I see so many times with staff is that we talk about the documentation. You know, they're not doing it in the home for one reason or another, or not doing it in their driveway, doing stuff late at night at home, doing stuff before they come into work. So they're, that's part of the overall burnout. No, you are working for a technology company. <laughs> So tell yeah. us inside track. <laughs> oh, thank you for opening this up because I can tell you I never thought I would work for a tech company. <laughs> I absolutely almost went nuts rolling out an uh, EMAR system to a very large organization about five years ago. We were in 28 offices in eight states and we went from paper to tech. And it was it was hard. It was a burden. So First of all, I've learned that tech has to be a friend, not a foe, and you have to know your audience. We are looking at two very diverse population groups when we look at home care and home health, hospice. We're looking at those Gen X or Gen Zers, and we're looking at millennials versus us baby boomers, right? And we look at technology very different. There's one group that are novice, and there's some of us that may struggle to operate our own phone. So um, my role at Access is really to look at technology and how to make it a friend. First of all, it's got to be intuitive. It has to be so easy to use Mm. for that clinician or that person in the field that they want to be connected to it. I think about it kind of like my iPhone and how much my iPhone does for me. Mm -hmm. 
our, our EMR and our documentation system needs to be the same for our clinical staff. It needs to do so much for that nurse. It's almost like having a nurse on your shoulder. Someone that when you're out there in the field by yourself, your, your technology, your EMR is almost whispering in your ear. Oh, did you think about this? Did you think about that? Um, so interoperability, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We, we need that interoperability pulled in. There is no reason I, as a clinician, so had to spend three days on the phone trying to reconcile medications when someone comes home from the hospital. That's mm-hmm. not good for my patient. It's not good for me. It's just not a good use of resources. So is my technology bringing that all to me so I can communicate with all these doctors at one time? Do I have artificial intelligence built in so that as we're asking to take care of bigger and bigger groups of patients and populations that are diverse, Mm -hmm. is my technology pointing out key indicators that is telling me, you know what, Tammy, this patient needs to be seen today. It can't wait till Friday. You know, is that building it in for me? You know, is it doing something as simple as mapping out my best route for the day? Um, you know, those are those are efficiencies that allow me to spend more time with the patient, so more bedside time versus less screen time. Um, I hate that report that comes over my cell phone. I'm sure you guys probably all get it, and you get it, Julia, and they'll say, "Oh, your screen time is up because you keep her sin this week." <laughs> Yes, I get that. I know it's been a bad week if my screen time is up. That's not a good week. No. What I would hope is that every nurse, you know, as they learn to adapt to the technology they're using, it'll say your screen time's down by 10%. Your screen time's down by 20%. And pretty soon, we're only spending 10% of our workday using technology. And we're spending the rest of it taking care of the patient. Wouldn't that be amazing um, if we can get to that point? It would be absolutely amazing. There's so much in our documentation. I mean, certainly we have to do the OASIS and hospice will soon have other documentation that they're going to need to do, but still comprehensive assessment for patients. So it would be really wonderful if we could have something that would help trigger that and reduce that overall burden to the clinician. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we are developing it. I, I can tell you that ease of use is top of mind. Mm-hmm. There are over um, 60 clinicians that work at Access and that actually um, speak to our technology and to our product. So we're constantly infusing how we can do it better. Oasis E, right? That was a biggie. Oasis and now you've got BIMS assessment, CAMS assessment. I think every nurse out there just went, oh, you just added on 20 minutes at the minimum mm-hmm. to every Oasis assessment. That's not true if you use technology correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a team of clinicians, um, therapists, OTs, PTs, and nurses. I got to sit on that committee. It was great because I got to say, you know, if you would just do this, because let's look at the future down the road as well. We know this is going to be a big year for compliance and scrutiny. We don't want our staff tied up with ADRs and having to prove, you know, that this visit is billable. 
Let's build it in from the start and let's start with that comprehensive assessment. So my, my contribution, and I think what I'm the most proud of is we built in health literacy as such a major player in Oasis, because you can be the smartest person in the world, but if your dad is dying and getting ready to be placed on hospice and you're taking care of your grandkids and your daughters moved back home during COVID, that was all my experience in 2020, my health literacy was probably super low because it just couldn't take anything else in mm-hmm. coming. Yeah. You know, thank goodness that, you know, the hospice nurse and, and somebody else took over that role for me for a little bit of time. And mm-hmm. that's what I want technology to do for our nurses. Let it, let it kind of think for us when we're overburdened and help us know what's most important and what's the priority. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's absolutely wonderful. Tammy, I'm going to shift gears here a little bit. One of the things that I ask all of my guests who are clinicians uh, about their careers, and I do this because a lot of our listeners are clinical managers or want to be clinical managers and are looking to advance themselves. So now, you know, looking back at your career, you've had a great career. What would be the one thing that you wish you did differently? Wow, I love that question. And, you know, I, I think as a caregiver, probably we're all prone to this. We take care of ourselves last. I would have to say, take care of yourself first. Be intentional about your career mapping and your career path and invest in yourself. I can remember when I got through graduate school and finished the master's program. I got a few little certifications here and there. I got so busy working in the business. I forgot to keep training myself and to keep investing in me. Mm -hmm. So I would encourage anybody out there, an investment in yourself is going to pay off in dividend down the road. Be intentional and find yourself a good mentor. Um, there's a lot of us out there that love to mentor and impart knowledge. So make sure you find a self, yourself a good mentor to bounce ideas off of. Great advice. Great advice, Tammy. So we're about to wrap up. Is there anything that you'd like to add? I, I think I'd just like to invite everybody to come to Agile. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself and my whole team will be there. Julia, I hope we see you there as well. Maybe I can get you on a panel or something to speak with some of our other subject matter experts. Sure. I, again, it's an investment in ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Take that time off. And I, I never thought I could do that because I thought I had to sit in that chair and keep working on the business. We all have to be refueled. It's April 17th through the 19th. And uh, I believe there's something in there for everyone from, from the home health aid um, to the C-sleep. And That's Julia, wonderful. thanks so much for having me. This was so fun. Tammy, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. It's very, very fun to talk to you. You've been listening to the Coffee and Conversation podcast, a service of the Clinical Manager Source. A very big thank you to our sponsor, Access, for this episode Reminder to check us out at theclinicalmanagersource.com. 
where you can find courses, books, resource, and career insight. We also have a form on our website for you to suggest future topics, provide comments, or suggest guest speakers. Stay tuned for our upcoming series, Advanced People Skills for Clinical Managers, Improving Your Emotional Intelligence IQ, presented by Gina Maza of Maza Consulting and myself, Julia Maroney, from the Clinical Manager Source. We'll have over 50 years' experience in clinical operations in home health and hospice to help you to learn to grow your emotional intelligence skills. It's so vital now with growing organizational culture and improving staff retention. At the Clinical Manager Source, we want you to thrive, not just survive. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you the next time.